Well, good morning. Uh, this is the season where we anticipate the coming of Jesus and we eagerly await His second coming. And we are exploring the questions of Advent. This is our theme as we are moving through this Advent season. Exploring the questions of Advent because the people who lived over 2,000 years ago, they were real people. And the coming of Jesus raised real and visceral questions in their lives. Questions they had to wrestle with and grapple with as they faced the coming of Jesus. And they are the very same questions that are just as relevant for us today as we anticipate Jesus coming again. If you were here with us in the first week, we looked at Mary, likely a teenage girl, informed by an angel that she would give birth to the Messiah. How can this be? That's a very real question. And we learned from her story that nothing is impossible with God. And that is a truth we need to cling to as we wait for Jesus to come again. Nothing is impossible with God. Last week, we turned our attention to Joseph, a builder who was faced with what seemed like infidelity by his fiancée. What will this cost me to follow Jesus? That's a very real question, for it cost Joseph everything, his reputation, his, his hometown, his entire life. And that's a reality no less relevant for us today as we wait for Jesus to come again. Following Jesus will cost us everything now this week we turn to an unusual subject for an advent story this morning we're going to look at king herod a ruler who claimed the title king of the jews and instead of focusing someone from these birth narratives someone we can hold up as an example we're going to look to Herod as an example of what not to do. For the question implied in Herod's actions surrounding the birth of Jesus is this. How can I still rule? The real king of the Jews was being born. God's Messiah. The one who would save his people from their sin and open for them a way back into close relationship with their God. The king and ruler of the entire world was born. Herod did not take it well. And sometimes neither do we, honestly. I think the question is just as relevant for us. We may not respond with the kind of violence and bloodshed instigated by Herod, at least I hope not. But we often approach Jesus with a very similar attitude. Look, I know you're my Savior and my God, but how much can I really get away with here while still pretending to be following you? I mean, I believe in you, Jesus, but is there a way of following you that allows me to stay in control, for, allows me to be in control of my own life and my own decisions, my own trajectory, my own future. It's the same basic question as we anticipate the second coming of Jesus. Jesus is coming back. But until He does, we often find ourselves wrestling with this very question, how can I still rule? Our story today explores Herod. Or, or rather, kind of explores around Herod. You'll see. He's an odd choice for an Advent story because he is an example of what not to do. 
but we are no less confronted with the very same questions. As we explore the coming of Jesus and as we await His second coming, the Advent question for this morning is, how can I still rule? Wow, that was hot. Chapter 1 begins with a reading from Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. I'm not going anywhere near this one, Quintus. There is no way we're bringing this news to Herod. The two men, purposefully disheveled to blend in with the crowds in Jerusalem, had been walking their normal route when they overheard the strangers from the east, magi by the looks of them, inquiring about a child who had been born. As members of Herod's secret team of informants, they kept their ears to the ground, looking for news that should be brought to the king. No, these magi were strange, but normally strange would not have warranted a second thought. Jerusalem is a cosmopolitan city. Travelers and pilgrims from all over Judea, not to mention the whole empire. Normally, they would have just dismissed the strange men as yet another group of unusual guests in their city. If they hadn't used that title, if they hadn't used that phrase, if they weren't looking for the king of the Jews, There's no way, Quintus, I mean, he'll flip, he'll go nuts, he'll want to kill somebody, he'll kill the messengers. He does that, you know, he kills messengers, we'll be the messengers. The two men turned west, walking the less traveled streets to avoid the crowds, heading for Herod's palace, even before they'd fully decided what they would do when they got there. He is totally paranoid, no doubt, Quintus replied. But he's also brilliant and calculating, a political genius, if nothing else, He has brought stability to this whole region. And consider what he's built. Consider the fortresses. And and even here in Jerusalem, the city walls have been rebuilt. The the citadel, the new market, the theater. and, And his incredible work rebuilding the temple. It's stunning achievement. Especially in a land of such unrest. He's our man, Lucius. It's why we hitched our cart to him, isn't it? The two men turned the corner. And ahead of them stood Herod's palace, built along the western wall of the city with its three towers rising up behind it. And from a distance, it was beautiful. Both men knew that up close, it was even more so. I think it's far more likely that he is someone who rewards those who bring him important tidings, Quintus continued. Especially if there's word around town of a child who's been born king of the Jews. Did you catch that, Lucius? Not born one day to become king of the Jews but born king of the Jews. This child has already claimed the title as if his birth is the fulfillment of some ancient prophecy or something. He's already king of the Jews. And I'm pretty sure Herod, having claimed that title for himself, will want to know if the people are thinking there's a new king in town. Especially if these magi keep wandering around asking everyone about it. But Lucius didn't buy it. If we bring him this news, he'll go nuts. 
he's gotten more and more suspicious in his later years. It's bad enough when he had his own wife executed for suspected treason. Quintus cut him off. That was like 20 years ago. Lucius continued, and then he executed Aristobulus and Alexander two years ago. Both of them. Quintus conceded that point. Okay, executing his own sons may seem a little extreme. But they were actually plotting against him. I mean, what's, what was he supposed to do? That's just Herod. He's ruthless. Any hint of a plot against his rule or anyone sympathetic to such a plot, real or imagined, their life expectancy decreases dramatically. Lucius agreed with the enthusiasm. You make my point. I'm just saying that anyone associated with the news of such a plot, well, their life expectancy might drop dramatically as well. Anyone or anything that threatens his rule is dealt with in a way that usually involves dramatic bloodshed. You know this. He'll have us killed. You know, Quintus countered, he'll surely have us killed if he hears about this king of the Jews that's been born and then finds out we knew about it and didn't tell him. That stopped Lucius in his tracks. Well, maybe he won't find out? He offered tentatively, almost hopefully, and it was met with a decidedly unimpressed look from Quintus. Right, magi in full eastern regalia, wandering around the city, asking everyone they see about the king of the Jews who's been born, asking where they can find the king of the Jews, asking if anyone's seen the king of the Jews. Yeah, that'll never get to Herod. Good plan. Lucius conceded, all right, all right, we'll go. But if he has us killed for bringing him this news, I'll kill you. Like a second time, somehow, like in the next life. Or so, look, I'll just be really mad, okay? Lucius lowered his voice. I hate living like this. I hate being subject to this king. I wish we could just live our own lives. I wish I could just be my own king. I mean, I don't mind having a king as long as he just leaves me pretty much alone. I, I just want to know I can still rule my own life instead of running around trying to placate Herod while also avoiding his wrath. You would destroy yourself if you were your own king, Lucius. You'd be a terrible king. Even if you only ruled yourself. Look, I'm not excited about this either. But we were Herod's men. That's what we're paid for. This is our job. We go in, we do our job, and we hope the odds go in our favor. That's what we are rewarded for. At least I hope we'll be rewarded for our loyalty and our timely message. They made their way into Herod's palace. They were recognized by the guards at the gate and so were allowed to pass, the guards pretending not even to notice them as the two men slipped into the palace courtyard. Word was already then being sent to the captain of Herod's secret police, even as they continued towards the audience room. Now, the lavish courtyard was a work of architectural beauty. The two main buildings of the palace were opposite each other, to the north and to the south, and between them, bordered on the eastern and western sides by colonnades, the central courtyard was a garden filled with streams and bronze fountains, with groves of trees and paths that wandered among it all. The fragrance of green and water and life was on the air. An interesting contrast to how the two spies were feeling at that moment. They made their way to the northern building where Herod was currently residing while he was in Jerusalem. They passed a number of other guards, all of whom recognized them and nodded imperceptibly until they reached Herod's audience chamber. They gave their names and waited outside to be summoned. They didn't have to wait long. Herod's captain of the guards stepped out of the chamber and closed the door behind him. What news? Don't bother the king with your inconsequential babble. What have you got? Quintus and Lucius explained what they'd heard. The Magi, the child who'd been born king of the Jews. The captain paled visibly. 
Normally, he would have tried to intercept the news so he could be the one to present it to the king, so he would be the one rewarded for providing useful information. But this news? Nope. He did not want to be the one to tell the king either. So he rapped on the door twice, entered, leading the two men. Oh, king, the captain began. Uh, These two men have something to tell you. Herod, brooding on his throne in a darkened room, merely growled and motioned for them to speak. Chapter 2. Matthew 2, verses 3 and 4. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. I am disturbed, Simon the high priest complained. I don't like being summoned. A small group of men hurried through the streets of Jerusalem. And I don't like being forced to hurry through the city at Herod's beck and call. It's undignified. And he had a point. The group of men looked a little bit ridiculous. Aged and wise, with long beards, long robes. But with those robes hiked up as they hurried westward through Jerusalem to the temp- from the temple to Herod's palace, trying really hard to look like they were not in a hurry. It wasn't working. But the real question is, I would think, Should we tell him about the prophecy? A younger priest, who was actually from Aaron's line, spoke up. Should we tell him the child is to come from Bethlehem? Simon, however, an outsider from Alexandria, who had been appointed high priest by Herod himself, displacing the legitimate line of succession of the priesthood, countered sharply. Of course we tell him. He's the reason we have a temple. He's the reason we have our positions. We serve at Herod's pleasure. Oh, the younger priest conceded. I thought we served at the pleasure of the Lord. That earned him a glare from the high priest. But since they were in a hurry, he let it pass. I agree with Simon, said one of the teachers of the law. My legal counsel would be to honor Herod as God's chosen king of the Jews. We are under severe and direct obligation to report to him and to provide any and all information he is seeking. That's not just your legal opinion, another countered. That's your self-preservation talking. You don't want to incur Herod's wrath for withholding information. Have you considered what will happen if Herod finds the child? What do you think he'll do then? The one who had his own wife, his own sons executed. You think the child will be safe? Yet another chimed in disagreeing. And what do you think he'll do to us if we refuse to tell him? Remember, it wasn't that long ago that Aristobulus III was in line for the high priesthood and Herod had him assassinated. You think our positions here in Jerusalem are any more secure? He put a Roman eagle on the main gate of the temple. Rome first, then the Jews. That much is pretty clear. Herod won't hesitate for a moment to have us killed for withholding information. Shh, Simon hushed the group. Don't even let words like that pass your lips. Herod has secret informants everywhere. The last thing we need is word getting back to Herod that his high priests and teachers of the law are conspiring and talking about withholding information from him as they are walking through the streets. As the group rounded the corner, Herod's palace came into view. The entire group of men suddenly stopped their hurry, attempting to regain some vestigial remnant of dignity as they came into view of Herod's guards. It didn't work. Again. The teacher of the law spoke up again. Herod will do anything to ensure that he remains king. He will rule his own life. And anyone or anything that suggests otherwise will be handled with great prejudice. He will not suffer to have any other king than himself. 
He is king, and there is none besides him. But the young priest spoke up again, feeling somewhat emboldened by being out in public. And how are we any different? Are we not motivated by our own self-preservation? Is not this what we're discussing as we approach the palace? How do we keep ourselves in our own positions of power? How do we placate Herod so that we can continue to rule in our own spheres of influence, in our own ways? That's the real question we're discussing here, isn't it? How can we still rule even if we are under a king, unstable or otherwise? How can we still rule? Don't you see? We're no different than him. We're just further down the food chain. This stopped Simon the high priest in his tracks, which awkwardly stopped the entire group of old men trying to stop bumping into each other as they had been walking along through the streets of Jerusalem. Watch yourself, my son, or you will find yourself at the displeasure of both Herod and his high priesthood. You mean the Lord's high priesthood, right? Simon flushed, turning to address the insult and the insubordination, just as some of Herod's palace guards acknowledged the group of elders, announcing the group loudly, the high priests and teachers of the law from among the Jewish people, he called out. And the guards stepped away from the entrance to the palace and motioned by lifting their spears into a neutral vertical position so that the group of elders could pass. Simon addressed his entourage. If such a child has indeed been born, well, then the Lord can protect his own. Not even Herod can stop the true Messiah when he comes. And if Herod finds this child, then we can be assured that this child was not the Messiah. There is no conflict of interest here. We will simply report the words of the prophet Micah, which anyone can look up if they were so inclined. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. We can tell him no more, and we will tell him no less. Are we clear on this? He turned to the younger priest. Are we clear? And you and I are not finished. We will have a discussion back at the temple after our audience with Herod has concluded. The high priests and teachers of the law were ushered into Herod's audience chamber. It did not look like Herod was feeling well. He was slouched down in his throne. The room was darkened. He didn't ask any questions. He just growled in the darkness and motion for them to speak. Chapter 3, Matthew 2, verses 7 through 9, say this. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. So that was unusual, Melchior stated. The unofficial leader of the company, he was the first to speak after the Magi had passed out through the city gate onto the road to Bethlehem. The three scholars had been mostly silent, almost stunned after their audience with Herod, and by some unspoken understanding between them, they had not discussed the event until they were outside the city walls. He must have informants throughout the city to have been summoned to him so quickly, but it felt kind of like he was sneaking us in to see him, didn't it? I mean, bringing us in under the cover of darkness seems a little unusual. But do you believe him? Casper, the youngest of the three, asked. His tone of voice betrayed his own incredulity. 
Balthazar, the third of the Magi, answered his younger companion, I believe this Herod is a complicated man. He obviously is physically ill. That much was evident. The man is not well, but beyond his physical ailment, I am forced to wonder about the stability of his mind. Melchior jumped back into the conversation. Yes, yes, my thoughts exactly. You both saw the way he reacted, though, when we asked about the king of the Jews being born. Was that a growl? Like a wounded bear? I've really never seen anything quite like it before today. But do you believe him, Caspar insisted a second time. Balthazar attempted to answer again. I, I think there are layers to Herod, Caspar. On the surface, yes, I think we can believe him about Bethlehem being the birthplace of the child. And that agrees with what we have read in the prophet Micah as well. I wouldn't have considered that passage as necessarily referring to our day and time, but now having had our attention drawn to it, and drawn to it by the high priests and teachers of the law here in Jerusalem, no less, or so Herod says. Yes, yes, I, I think we can trust that part of what he said. It's not the part I was talking about, Casper countered. I mean, what about the part where he asked us to report back to him so that he might go and worship the child as well? Balthazar sighed deeply. Yes, that part was admittedly a little harder to swallow. The camels they were riding all snorted too, shaking their heads from side to side, as if they too found Herod's words lacking credibility. It's possible, though, that he's just not feeling well, and we're interpreting his words through the lens of his illness. Really? Caspar was not impressed. What about you, Melchior? What was your impression of this Herod, king over Judea? Uh, king of the Jews, actually, Melchior began. I think that's why he reacted the way he did when we announced our intentions. He's claimed that title for himself. And I don't think it's that difficult to discern that he is threatened by such a child being born. That is a man who gives off every sign of being threatened by anyone or anything that might challenge his own self-determination, his own rule, his own kingdom. Exactly, Caspar affirmed. That's what I mean. I can't believe he would ask us to find the child and report back to him so that he can worship the child. Highly unlikely for a wounded bear to worship an upstart cub. He'll eat him instead. Balthazar cautioned the younger magi. Now, Caspar, you can't be jumping to conclusions here. If he wanted to do the child harm, don't you think he would have sent a, a contingent of soldiers with us? He may have been ill, but he's obviously a man wise in the ways of the world. He knows full well that we could just go and warn the, warn the family, that, that we might voice our suspicions of his motivation for finding the child. Even so, he did not send soldiers with us. He let us go our own way to find the child. That suggests at least some level of believability to his words. No, it doesn't, Casper explained. I get the impression that no faithful Jew in their right mind would lead soldiers to a child that might be the promised king from days of old. I think he's counting on us finding the child for him. Because nothing from among his vast array of resources could accomplish this task. We are his unwitting tools, or is that pronounced fools, who will find this child for him, dutifully reporting back to him so that he can do away with the child. Casper, Casper, Balthazar soothed. Why so hostile? We have no reason to suspect such infamy from this Herod. We are here in his kingdom, at his pleasure, enjoying his hospitality. He has graciously welcomed us, and while being brought to him under the cover of darkness is unusual, almost like he was keeping it a secret, he gave no other indication of malicious intent. 
Now, I will admit, it was an odd audience with the king, but we must take care not to misinterpret the signs of his illness with the intention of ill will toward the child. Casper couldn't hold his tongue any longer. You're both blind. I know I'm the youngest among us, but maybe I can still see the things to which you have both been blinded, whether by age or by court experience. It's not just Herod. I'm not singling him out as some defective or diseased ruler like he's some kind of anomaly i'm saying it's human nature people cling to control and power i'm not even talking about something as obvious as political power or religious power people want self-determination they want autonomy to be their own gods no one likes being beholden to another i don't care if you're a secret informant for herod or one of the chief priests and teachers of the law It is human nature to want to be one's own king, to preserve one's own self-determination, to say, I am, and there is none besides me. Melchior was nodding, but Balthazar looked like he was about to object. Don't pretend you don't agree, Balthazar. The same is true of us as we ride along, discussing whether or not we will submit to the lordship of the king of Jerusalem. We're no better than Herod is. He claims kingship here, but here we are deciding if we will submit to his rule or if we will rule ourselves. Even Herod serves at the pleasure of Caesar. Do you think he doesn't chafe under that lordship? Look, I'm saying that this is the base, foundational level of being human. We don't want anyone claiming lordship over us, limiting our perceived freedoms and having any claim to our allegiance. Melchior agreed. You are wise beyond your years, young one. And I think you have surmised the root of what we observed in Herod himself. It was just magnified a thousandfold based on his high position as king. What might be evident only more subtly among the common man is glaringly obvious in a king who has grown suspicious and erratic and unbalanced in his paranoia. The harder you grasp after your own self-rule, the more broken you become. Be you a king or be you a peasant? This is the real problem presented by the child. If he is the promised one from days of old, then he claims lordship over the whole world. It's why we came to worship, remember? Balthazar interjected, Not everyone is going to resent this king being born. There are many who will celebrate with us, especially since this king has been promised by a benevolent and loving God as we have seen in the Jewish scriptures. Their God is patient and loving, faithful from generation to generation, a God who has promised redemption and rescue for his people. Casper jumped back in. But the vast majority of people hear that a king has been born and they will instinctively seek to preserve their own rule rather than yield. I mean, they might acknowledge him with their lips, but he will be no more than an ornament in their lives. Their lives will remain oriented around their own self-rule, their own priorities, their own self-determination. It's as the prophet Isaiah has written, the Lord says, the people come near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their allegiance will be reluctant at best because they'll go through life asking the question, How can I still rule my own life even though the king has come? Informants, priests, Herod himself, even magi bearing precious gifts, but who will return home and go back to our lives of privilege and affluence? Are we willing to completely reorient our lives around the lordship of this new king? 
or each of us asking, how can I still rule? All three men fell into a thoughtful silence, considering this question. Their camels plodded on as they headed to an inn just outside Jerusalem to spend the night before heading to Bethlehem in the morning. A reading from Matthew 2, as we continue with chapter 4 here. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. In the darkness of his audience chamber, Herod's anger boiled within him. Growing more ill by the day, his fuse was growing shorter and shorter. His attendants kept their distance, fearing an unpredictable outburst. Herod called to his captain of the guard, who came and presented himself before his king. His voice low, trembling with anger, Herod sent his captain and his forces to the city of Bethlehem. No one will take my rule from me, not my wife not my sons, and certainly not some baby in a backwater town, prophecy or no prophecy. He glared at the captain of the guard. Every male child under the age of two, he growled. Kill them. Kill them all. I will never give up my rule. 